Hey, how's everybody doing? Merry Christmas to you. Yeah. So, uh, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If you don't recognize me, I'm wearing a shirt and tie. I still know how to tie a tie. Pretty proud of myself. So, I was thinking, uh, Pastor Doug, who was up here earlier, you guys remember that that, uh, game show, uh, Password? You know, the password is... Well, the password for Doug is decaf. That boy's got a lot of energy, man. That is why he is with our kids and our teens. It's fantastic. It is really good to be with you guys. Merry Christmas. What a great time of year. I'm going to open with this, and then we're going to delve into some Scripture. It's really good to be here with you guys. One of the major Christian celebrations or commemorations is this thing that we call Christmas. And it's uh, the most recent of all commemorations that Christians celebrate. The name, Christmas, it's a contraction or a narrowing of the term Christ's, apostrophe as Christ's Mass. Jesus Christ's Mass, Christmas. And it did not come into use until the Middle Ages. In the early centuries, Christians were much more likely to celebrate uh, the day of a person's death rather than the day of their birth or their birthday. Very early in its history, the church had an annual observance of the death of Christ and also honored many of the early martyrs on the day of their death. In the early part of the 4th century, uh, Christians in Rome began to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. This practice spread widely and rapidly um, so that most parts of the Christian world observed this uh, new holiday, this remembrance uh, by the end of the 4th century. So the Christmas story, the, the story of Christ is a great story. But if we don't understand why He was here, we don't understand the backstory, we can miss something in the story. If we don't understand the backstory, why did Christ come? Why did God send Christ to us as a gift? Turn with me, if you will. It might seem like an odd place to start, but we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Go to Genesis. It's the first book in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10 in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse, we're going to go to chapter 2. We're going to focus in in 1 through 10 in chapter 3. But go to chapter 2 and look at verse 15, 16, and 17. Verses 15, 16, and 17. The Lord God, in in Genesis 2, chapter, uh, verse 15, Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden. We know this story. To cultivate the garden and to keep it. And God commanded Adam, saying, from any tree... You may eat freely. Any tree in this garden, you can eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one tree you shall not eat. Why? If you do, you will surely die. Any tree, eat freely. Don't touch the one tree because you will not only die, you will surely die. For emphasis. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent... Satan, the devil, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Eve, 
he says, right, this is the crafty serpent. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? No, that's not what God said. So the woman says in in reply to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle, God said you shall not eat or touch it or you will die. And what does the serpent say? He said to the woman, you surely will not die. That's exactly what God said just prior. You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And then she gave some to her husband and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And that's been going on ever since. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord, out of His love and His concern, called to the man and said, as he said to many of us, where are you? Where are you? God did that for me in my life. Mark, where are you? Mike, where are you? Verse 10, he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid myself. We're going to break that down in a little bit. Let's pray first. God, we thank you that you look for us that you ask each one of us where are you because of our sin that has separated us from the presence of the almighty you love us and you say where are you come back to me and for that Lord we thank you that's the reason we celebrate the birth of Christ it's the final culmination of you looking for us, saying to us, where are you? Here's my son. He's the way back to me. For that, Lord, we are eternally grateful. We love you and we thank you for the story of Christmas. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. So in the story of Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they sin. They disobey God. And they are now separated from the presence of the Lord. And ever since then, God has said to us, where are you? And we're full of shame and we're full of guilt. And so we run and we hide like Adam and Eve did. We hide and we cover and we're afraid. And we sometimes can't find our way back to God. And God says, where are you? I'm going to come after you. And Christ is the perfect, the culminating example of God pursuing us. God pursues us. God pursued me in that 15 and a half gave my life to the Lord because he had been pursuing me and for that I'm grateful and many of you have the same story perhaps God's been pursuing you for a long time and it's time for you to go back into the presence of God because of what Christ has done that's what we celebrate during the Christmas season did you know did you know that the Old Testament contains over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled by his life death and resurrection over 300 prophecies in the life of Jesus Christ Mathematically speaking, 
the odds are just actually staggering. Check this out. A mathematician put it this way. If a person filled, uh, one person fulfilled eight prophecies, this is what it would be. One person fulfilling eight prophecies, the odds are one in, does anybody know what that number is? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's quadrillion or something. There's 17 zeros, I think. One in eight. If one person fills eight prophecies, the odds are one in that number, right? If, they, if, if a person, one person fulfilled 48 prophecies, one person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the 157th power. That means it's one in 10 and add 157 zeros compared to the first one, which is 17 zeros. It's crazy. One person fulfilling over 300 prophecies, essentially it can't be done unless it's done by our Lord. Amen? Can't be done. But here's the deal. These statistics aren't meant to impress you. They're not meant to impress me, to be impressed by uh, these types of numbers or the odds are against us. They're meant to identify. They're not meant to impress. They're meant to identify. When we see these kind of numbers, they're meant to identify that God is real and God through Christ is alive. And He came in the form of man for us. And the reason... I say they're not meant to impress, but they're meant to identify is this. When God does, think about this, when God does what only God can do, when He fills those kind of odds, when God does what only God can do, we better pay attention. We better pay attention when God does what only God can do. That's the God we serve. That's the reason we celebrate Christmas. Against all odds, Christ is here, if you will. Let's talk about the Christmas story. Go to Luke chapter 2 now, right? So that's the backstory. We are out of fellowship with God, and God is saying to us, where are you? And so God pursues us. And so we get to Luke chapter 2. Go to Luke chapter 2. And let's read this Christmas story. Starting in verse 1. We don't understand what happened in Genesis. And we don't have the ability on some level to understand the importance of God sending Christ for us. Now in those days, verse 1 says, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And so Joseph went up from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, Joseph, was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, who was with Jesus. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him, Jesus, in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Hmm. 
For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So that's the story. Jesus is here. But if we don't understand why he's here, we're going to miss part of that story. It's God's pursuit of us through His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring us back into the presence of God so that we don't have to run and cover and hide and have guilt and shame. Check this out. Look at verses 10 and 11. Some key verses in our context. The angel said to them, I think so many of us are afraid, and God doesn't want us to be fearful. That's what happened when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, or they left the garden. He says, we were afraid. God doesn't want us to be afraid. He pursues us. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, listen, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy, which is for who? What does it say? Which will be for what people? All the people. God, through Christ, doesn't say, hey, I'm trying to restore you back into my presence. I think this Jesus guy is looking pretty good. I think he can restore relationship with most of you. I'm still working on him. No, he says he's a gift for you, a gift of joy for all people, every single one of us. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The Lord has brought me or brought us great news of great joy for all people. For today, verse 11 says, for today, today, right now, all of us are going to have our today. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you. Today, there has been born for you a Savior. That's great news of great joy because today has been born for you a Savior. I hope today's that day for you, if it hasn't been a day for you already. Look at 18, 19, and 20. So they're telling the story about Jesus and this child through verses 17. And then at 18 it says, And all who heard it wondered. Everyone who heard the story. We're all here, I'm guessing, every one of us has heard the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. And so did they hear. All who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Look at verse 19. But Mary, hmm, but Mary what? But Mary treasured all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. Let me say that again, and I'm going to break that down. All who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary didn't just wonder. She treasured them, and she pondered them in her heart. That word wondered means to be amazed at. 
I am guessing here that all of us on some level have heard the Christmas story. And we've wondered, we're amazed by it maybe. But Mary wasn't just amazed by this. Mary treasured it. Mary treasured it. It means to preserve it, to take it in, to have to preserve knowledge or to preserve this memory so that she can use it moving forward for later use. It's like walking and I see this, this nugget of gold that's worth millions of dollars. And I'm, I'm, I am amazed by it. I wondered at what I've seen. And then I just walk away. I don't pick it up. I don't treasure it for later use. Mary saw it, but then she treasured it as well. Too many people have wondered, have been amazed by the Christmas story, but they haven't treasured it in their hearts for future use. I hope we don't do that this Christmas season. Boy, I hope we wonder at the story and we treasure it just like Mary did. And then it says that she pondered it, which means that she was able to meditate on it moving forward. It was something that drove her. It was a truth and it was a reality that was part of her life. She meditated on a daily basis. Let me open with this as well. I don't know about you, but there's a good chance that all of us in this room can remember those early years as a child. Those long, frigid days of December that finally culminated in that magical day, the day that we call Christmas Day. As a young, energetic, and enthusiastic child, it just seemed like those days leading up to Christmas simply didn't go fast enough. Isn't that true? Do you remember those days? Do you guys... We, in our family, we did this Christmas countdown chain. Do you guys remember these? Did anybody do this besides me? Is it up there? Oh, okay. Yeah? Who did those at your house? Right? You put them up the 1st of December, and you just, right, you tear one off until it was Christmas Day. And my mom, my mom and my siblings, you know, we would do that together, and then we'd hang them up right, right on the wall between the kitchen and the, and the living room. I loved it. Those days counting down to Christmas just as a child, they just seemed to linger on and on. But the excitement also ramped up and up with each passing day. And perhaps like me, during these times of waiting, you too executed numerous feeble attempts of trying to figure out what was actually inside your presence under the tree, maybe even your sibling's presence. In our family, there were always certain gifts that you knew were coming. We knew that one or two boxes was going to be clothes. We weren't always excited as a kid about clothes, but we understood, you know, we had to be practical. And the other thing we got every single year was this um, a book. Remember these Lifesaver books? Right? Did you guys say, who got, who got those growing up? Right? I was so, it was always, every year, right? We, got, we knew we were going to get clothes, and we knew we were going to get a Lifesaver book. I never really understood the purpose of the wintergreen, um, personally. I, I had, like, no trade value whatsoever. Um, anyway, I, yeah. That was the big thing for us. I love those things. I think my favorite is the top right. Was it called, was it butter rum? But was it, huh? Butterscotch or butter rum? It was butter rum, right? That's what it was called. Good stuff. Loved it. And then, of course, there were those gifts that simply took you by surprise. Those ones that make you act a little loopy in the head, right? You were so excited that it caused you to act in such a way you're thankful they didn't have video cameras back then, right? For me, I don't know why, but the one gift that really threw me a little loopy, I was so excited when I got a pair of stilts. I have no idea why I wanted a pair of stilts. I was like eight or nine. I don't have any recollection, but I just remember 
I finally got a pair of stilts. Which, now that I think about it, makes me curious to know what the heck my mom did with those things. Like, where did she hide those? Because I was always looking for things that were coming. I don't know where she hid them. I was probably no more than eight or nine years old. And for me, at that moment, that was the best Christmas ever. I got my stilts. I think I had two older brothers and an older sister. I had younger siblings too, but maybe I just wanted to get on those stilts and look down on them for once. I don't know. I got tired of getting beat up. It also makes me wonder, whatever happened to those stilts? Like, I don't have them now. Right? Like, I think, what, what happened to them? Where'd they go? Heck, whatever happened to all those gifts that we got over all those years? These questions cause me, at least, to recognize the amount of time, the amount of energy, and the amount of enthusiasm that I have spent over the years on temporary things. And for the record, I'm not just talking about my years as a child. Far, listen, far too many of us, far too often, put far too much emphasis on things that are temporary. Amen? To be sure, to be sure, Christmas is indeed all about the giving of a gift. You bet. But not the temporary gift or gifts that we have grown so accustomed to over the years. It appears that this crafty serpent has once again replaced the truth of God's Word, the truth of Christmas and the gift of Christ with something other than what the Lord intended for Christmas to be. Sadly, too many people have forgotten or lost the concept that Christmas isn't about giving temporary gifts. Christmas is all about things that are eternal. The eternal God sending His eternal Son to die on a cross as a gift, as a gift, to us so that we may have the gift of eternal life I wonder is this the gift that you are focused on today this Christmas like never before I hope so John 3.16 many of us know this verse God loves us and as, a, as, a, as, as, uh, as children of his just like parents we love our children and we want to give our children good things and God loved us so much that He gave us a gift. He gave us something. He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him doesn't perish but has eternal life, the greatest gift ever given. Romans 6.23 says it very similarly. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where are you? I provided my son. Come back. Where are you? John 3, 17 through 20. Right after John 3, 16 comes verse 17 through 20. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because that person has not believed in the name of God's only son. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. And that's what keeps us separate from the presence of God. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, just like they were back in the Garden of Eden. But God came to fix that, to say, where are you? Come back to me. In his splendid book of anecdotes, which goes by the title, 
Bible windows, a gentleman named Ivor Powell or Ivor Powell tells the story of a rich man who died and left no heirs. When his household goods were being auctioned off, an elderly lady during the auction who was dressed in really shabby clothes was the only one to bid on the picture of the dead man's son. This picture had been greatly cherished by the wealthy father because his son was his only child and had passed away at a very early age. But the rest of the crowd that was there at the auction showed no interest in bidding for the picture of this man's only son. When this elderly woman who bought the portrait was asked why she wanted it, she replied that she had been the boy's nurse many years before and had loved him dearly before his death. Shortly after the auction, she examined the picture and cl- uh, very closely and noticed a bulge in the back, you know, where that, that really thick paper is in the back. And so she made a small cut and she removed an envelope which turned out to be the man's missing will. The document very clearly stated, listen to this, that the man wanted to leave his property to the person who still held dear the memory of his beloved son. It's been 2,000 years plus. And I think that's a good challenge for us today. Do we still hold dear the memory of God's only beloved son? We can lose sight of that so quickly because an enemy's crafty and he gets us distracted. I can't even begin to describe to you the things that await those of us, those of you who hold dear the memory of God's Son. It's much, much more than the temporary property and possessions of a wealthy man. It's the possession of eternal life and the riches of God's kingdom that He promised to those who come back to Him as their Creator. When interviewing a gentleman by the name of Dr. A.J. Gordon, Uh, as a prospective pastor of a church in Boston, the the pulpit committee or the search committee asked Dr. Gordon this. They said, Dr. Gordon, if you wind up being called to the pastorate uh, of this church, will you preach against the cards gambling, against the theater, and against dancing? And he said, I will. As the Lord would have it, Dr. A.J. Gordon was called to this church in Boston. Many months had passed by, and Dr. Gordon had not said a word against the cards, against the theater, and against dancing. Eventually, the board of the church said to Dr. Gordon, Dr. Gordon, almost a year has gone by and you have said nothing against the cards, against the theater, and against the dancing. And we surely would love to know why. To which he replied as follows, Gentlemen, it is true that I have said nothing against these things, but I have preached Christ, who is the only Savior from all evils. When He comes into your heart or into one's heart, all those things begin to vanish from the life like the mist before a hot breath of the noonday sun. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what we're about as a church. It's why Christ came. Not to beat us up, but to say, focus on me. Let me change you from the inside out. It's that important. Let me close with Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're going to close in a song. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, a little to the right of the book of Luke. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Starting in verse 1. (laughs) You were dead. 
you were dead, Paul writes to the, the church in Ephesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, just like I was, just like you were, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's that serpent of the spirit that is now working in those of us who are disobedient when we don't listen to God. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And I love those words, but God. But God came in to fix that through Christ. But God, who's rich in mercy, and out of those riches he sends us Jesus, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Because it's by His grace, when He sent His Son, it's an act of His grace. By grace, you and I have been saved. There's nothing we can do other than to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Like that as sinners, we are saved and He seats us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God loves us so much. He's so kind to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's nothing we can do to get our way back to God, but to put our faith and trust in what He's done for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. I hope and pray that you understand Christmas like you've never understood it before. And we celebrate it for what it's meant to be celebrated for, which is God's gift to us that changes lives. Amen? Let me pray, and then we're going to we're gonna close in this song. God, we, we say thank you for this gift of surpassing value. It's just hard to comprehend, Lord. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for sacrificing your love for us. Thank you that you call us and you say, where are you? Mark, where are you? Art, where are you? Karen, where are you? Neil, where are you? That you reach for us, that you pursue us. And all we need to do is put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because you sent him for us. For that we say thank you. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And we praise your mighty name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said,